Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tim Moan Show. Thank you for joining me once again uh, and listening to my windbag opinions. Um, if you want to be part of this conversation, if you want um, to uh, you know, recommend a podcast guest, maybe you think you're a podcast guest yourself, you want to be involved in the conversation, you want to be involved in the stuff that maybe we can't say on social media for fear of cancellation, please join me at locals.com. And uh, you can join up to be a supporter. Um, and, you know, I, I would love to have you there just to participate. Uh, even better if you can throw a, a few shekels your boy's way so I can keep this production going and really focus on bringing you high quality guests, high quality content uh, every single week and, and keep bringing you a prolific amount. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world. Want to help each other make sense of it. And we also want to, uh, you know, help each other become better versions of ourselves. That's a big part of the show is uh, how to live free in an unfree world. And uh, I want to definitely focus on a lot of that stuff. But today, in the news, in the States, the big talk right now uh, is national divorce. Marjorie Taylor Greene has tweeted out that maybe it's time for a national divorce. Uh, maybe uh, given that we can't get along, maybe we should just all go our separate ways amicably rather than continually fighting and abusing each other. Uh, so today I brought on uh, a special guest, my old buddy, David Birnbaum, who was my podcasting host for a long time. If you're following the Tim Bowen show, uh, you will uh, notice that there's a huge library of uh, podcasts in there. And given that I only started this show a couple of weeks ago, where are all those podcasts about? Well, those are former Liberty expert podcasts. Uh, where David Birnbaum and myself would uh, tackle all sorts of issues. And so uh, David and I went our separate ways. David's got better things to do than podcasts with me on a daily basis. Uh, he's building a media empire. But uh, I, I convinced him to come on today to talk about this issue of secession. So, David, welcome back to the the Tim Mode Show, the, the former Liberty Experts show. We were the Liberty Experts. You're a Liberty Expert. I wanted to have you on today to talk about this this topic, there's, uh, it, it just seems to be all the rage right now. And so, so how, how should we think about secession? Well, thanks for having me on. And so you mentioned national divorce as opposed to secession. So can you right. clarify the two to me or what? Well, I, I think they're, they're basically the same. I mean, the, it, the branding term that they're using in the States, the, the people that favor secession is national divorce. It's kind okay. of a pithy term. It's like, okay, we're kind of in an abusive relationship. No, no harm in separating, going our separate ways. We don't need to be at each other's throats all the time. So they're using the metaphor of divorce or marriage, I guess, um, to talk about secession. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think it was probably originally coined by uh, Michael Malice, who is uh, kind of a, a famous anarchist podcaster slash troll uh, in the States who has written a book about national divorce. And, uh, you know, it seems to have caught the attention of, of people in the halls of power, like the uh, Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, so I think secession or national divorce is an interesting topic to consider, right? To me, it means what? Rip the country in two, right? So that's why I guess mm. it would be alarming. National divorce seems more alarming than secession, but right. I don't know in the public language and the public lexicon if they have the term secession in their mind. But to me, it would be if it's coming out of the states, it would be Republicans separating from Democrats. Right. Um, 
I'm assuming it's related to the states then. There are like Republican heavy states with Republican governors and Democrat heavy states with Democrat governors. Um, in, in addition to then Washington sort of switching, my understanding is it switches every four to eight years, a Republican, a Democrat, a Republican, a Democrat. And so if she's a Republican saying that she doesn't want to work with Democrats anymore, then, right. okay, the Republicans would just leave then, right? Is it is the idea that the Republican states would se would secede and just no longer recognize Washington as valid? Well, I, I don't know that there's any so-called master plan here. It's just starting the conversation about, hey, look, obviously our differences seem irreconcilable at this point. You know, mm -hmm. that politics is just so utterly polarized. You can't have a conversation... Uh, it seems like there's no constructive dialogue happening across the political aisle anymore. Uh, you know, people are losing. I mean, just just think about the divorces, that, for example, that happened over political opinions about the pandemic response, about COVID, right? About how you viewed that. And that was all completely uh, informed, the, the narrative, by politics. Like that, there was no scientific uh approach to it or no nuanced conversation to be had you were in one tribe or the other and if you were in that tribe you were the if you were in the other tribe you're seen as the enemy right and, and so uh that and that has been the case now for you know certainly since trump was elected but but in large part before trump was elected because trump's election was in in fact a response to that this uh process that had been happening for years since mm -hmm. then right and and you know i look i look at it as you know we've talked about this before to to me the the right is is represents masculinity the left represents femininity and, and you know in a healthy family you need both of those energies you know the uh dad is uh you know he has external threat vigilance it's you know when i'm out with my family uh i'm paying attention to my surroundings so that, you know, just, uh, it's just a natural instinct. I, I you know, they, they're, for walking down the sidewalk, my wife and kids, I prefer to have them on the inside away from the road so, because I know I'm just more alert to threats. And if they're a road car's going to jump the curb or whatever, you know, I'm going to be the one that's going to probably notice it before anyone else. So mm -hmm. I'm just, I take that as my kind of duty as a man to, to protect my family, external threat vigilance, gathering resources. My primary function when I had kids come into my family, I'll tell you what, I kicked into high gear in terms of resource gathering. I gathered resources from my extra job, extra hours, whatever I could do to get ahead at work. I wanted to make sure I could provide for my family. Um, so, you know, resource gathering, external threat vigilance, boundary enforcement. That's where your mom starts and you stop, mister. You don't cross that line. This is where my property is and that's where your property is. We're going to build a fence here. We're going to respect each other's boundaries. You know, all that boundary enforcement stuff, that's dad's dad shit. And if you look at that, that maps pretty closely over what conservatives are most concerned about or what they're most focused on. On the other hand, femininity in, in, in a healthy family, you know, my wife is concerned about nurturing the least of these, caring for the least of these, encouraging sharing, sharing family resources, encouraging caretaking the family environment. Um, so very different response when kids came into the picture. My wife was all like, no, I'm definitely not going to work now. I'm no longer in the resource gathering business. I'm now in the nurturing and caretaking business. This is where I belong. That's just, and so that's, that, that to me is, 
very similar to what the left is concerned about, right? Caring for the least of these, encouraging sharing of, of the resources, um, caretaking the environment. Now, you, there's different reasons why, obviously, those different viewpoints get get um, attracted to different ideologies. Like, for example, you know, if you are have that kind of feminine uh, viewpoint, uh, you're going to be very attracted to socialism or something like that. Or if you if you think that mom ought to be in charge of the family, maybe you grew up in a single mother household, or you just mom wore the pants and you just respect that feminine energy more. Well, that socialism is going to be a far more attractive ideology to you. So, but but my point here is that the the thing it, it's no coincidence that at the same time families are split apart, we have third wave feminists and men's rights activists at each other's throat. At the same time, we have a hyper-partisanship and divide going on politically. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that all comes back to, in large part, the growth of the state, the, the outsourcing of personal responsibility um, to government and the government taking on more and more uh, of our, our lives for us and you know, becoming a surrogate husband to single moms or a surrogate father, you know, all these things. So, so. Uh, it, it's an it's almost inevitable in a lot of ways because it, it, the state continues to grow. It takes a huge effort to to shrink the state, but a very natural progression to grow it. And mm -hmm. and so to me, it, it's kind of inevitable that you have people. It becomes a zero sum game because if if my opponent, you know, if we're opponents now, if the masculine and feminine are at war with each other, because um, if the feminine's in charge, I'm oppressed. And if the masculine's in charge, you know, she's oppressed or whatever, well, then it becomes a zero sum game. Everyone, uh, you know, and so you demonize all the characteristics of the other side of the aisle, which basically, you know, in our modern world is demonizing masculinity or demonizing femininity and um, is ultimately what it comes down to. So this split yeah. is happening and uh, it seems irreconcilable. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's best that we just rather than than going to violence that we just go our separate ways i mean how can this be how can we unify again how can we make society or nation whole again well i think the concern people would have with the idea of national divorce would be that okay let's say it's the states divorcing um or something like that then they're just stuck separate Right. So you just said you think the Republicans are the daddy and the Democrats are the mommy and maybe getting more uh, mommy status. But yeah. then you're, you just have, OK, half of the states would have citizens in it that don't like the Republican rulers and half of the states would have Democrats that don't like that would have citizens that don't like the Democrat rulers. Yeah. Um, one thing that came up is if the idea of is national divorce to me it would be like the citizens divorcing the politicians writ large. But if you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, a politician, saying she wants the divorce, um, she's would be part of the problem, wouldn't she? Um, right. So I'm right. confused exactly well, what you mean. Um, but especially when you use these like the masculine and feminine terms and, and groupings, it just seems more alarming to me. Right. The idea of a national divorce. Um, who's in charge of what then or what's the goal or purpose of the national divorce. Right. And, and I think, I think everyone else has a different idea. I mean, uh, let me just pull up the tweet here from uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She had another tweet that I, I found kind of confusing and I'm like, what, what the hell is this? This doesn't look like a national divorce to me at all. It looks yeah. like um, more like uh, 
like independent uh, states or something like that, rather, or, or more states with more independence rather than an actual mm-hmm. sovereign um, entity kind of thing. Uh, but let me just see here. Let me pull this up because uh, I tweeted this the other day. I retweeted it. Yeah. So the federal government would have to maintain the Department of Defense, but it would need to return to its original purpose. The United States border and our national security would be the border the DOD would defend. Um, so so she's talking about basically what she's talking about here is isn't really so much a national divorce as uh, a minarchist nation state, right? So in a minarchist nation, uh, in a libertarian nation, you would have the, the purpose of the federal government would be uh, defense and borders. And basically mm-hmm. that's about it. And then the, the states would be, uh, you know, in charge of uh, whatever. So so well, when you, that's what when she's you say, talking about there. When you say national divorce, it means to me that the Republicans maybe don't want to work with the Democrats at all at the state level or Correct. the federal level, right? So the idea is and vice we're versa. just yeah. being, they don't work together at all much anymore. And I've seen graphics, I've seen videos of like the, the splintering of cross aisle voting over time in the US. So if she's more so saying that, because you know those views for Washington are still views for Washington, she's not separating from it, she's not divorcing from it and the Republican views still. So it makes right, it seem right. like maybe Daddy Marjorie Green on the Republican side is saying, "Well, I don't want this mother state anymore." Well, that's that's just it. That she's like, "Look, you know, uh, the federal government is becoming increasingly involved in state uh, states affairs, and they're pushing this woke leftist agenda that we don't want. We hate it. And I mean, it would be just and actually, you know, I talked to some secessionists." in California a few years ago uh, called CalExit. And these these people are actually left-wing secessionists. They're like, we don't like that Daddy Trump has shut the border. We like immigration. We want more immigrants coming here. We want to secede so that we can run our own country the way we are, our own you know state the way we want to run it. We don't want the federal government telling us how to run our state. So they, they were looking at it from the left-wing perspective. And so, you know, and since we have Gavin Newsom, you know, whose policies are effectively destroying California, it seems in a lot of ways, very unpopular, especially during the pandemic. Um, you know, we saw the the exit of Joe Rogan and Elon Musk and all these uh, notable figures and a lot of people following them to more uh, free states, let's say like Texas and Florida. Um you know, you know, again, that that's the same kind of uh, energy we're talking about here, where uh, people don't want to have a federal government that is run like California imposed on their state. So let's go back to what well, sounds like Marjorie Taylor Greene is talking about. Let's just go back to federalism, where the government, the federal government has one basic function, and that's national defense. And you guys take do whatever you want other than that in your states. Um, you know, as long as you're respecting the constitution or whatever, uh, mm. sounds like basically that's what she's arguing for. But I think Michael Malice is arguing for something a little different. Like let's no, let's separate into 50 different countries, um, you know, and, and let each country be its own thing so that, yeah. so that we're not at each other's throat. And of course, you know, it's a little bit more complicated than that too, because part of the problem is that the, the, you know, 
the republic the, the left and right divide isn't so much um state to state as it is urban to rural there's a big urban and rural divide um you know where where urban knights tend to be more left wing and rural folk tend to be more right wing and mm-hmm. you know that's probably a lot to do with the function of um uh, of living on top of each other and having to have different rule sets and shared resources just by virtue of living in close proximity as opposed to a farmer whose nearest neighbor is maybe five miles away and i never see the government i don't have any use for it and you know that sort of thing so i think mm-hmm. there's a little bit uh, of that at play as well yeah and when you mentioned calexit to me it's surprising because i've heard as a canadian like the idea of states rights from mm-hmm. republican states um, yeah. whenever washington would do something that they didn't like they'd say hey stay out of our state but i'd never really heard that from democrat states um i don't know what republican like I don't know if there were a lot of Democrats really upset with George Bush, like they were uh, George Jr., like they were with um, Trump. But if this is more of an idea of Democrat in Democrats' minds now, because of how much they didn't like Donald Trump, and they could see the negative impacts of a bad Republican in the presidency, uh, I'd only heard that from Demo- from Republicans aimed at Democrat Democrat presidents prior to Trump. So that right. could be why it's maybe in California or other places. Well, yeah. And and actually, I mean, I'm just looking at, at Twitter right now with this national divorce. I see a lot of left-wing people going, yeah, this is a great idea. If we don't have to deal with these dirty, you know, Republican MAGA, MAGA heads anymore, uh, that'd be perfectly fine by me. And so it seems to have some popular sentiment on both sides of the aisle here in terms of people going, yeah, I don't want to deal with that other group. They're just, they're, they're incorrigible. They're, they're irredeemable. Like, uh, I think, I think it's an interesting idea as well, because of the way people, especially in the U S view their own country, right? So there was the narrative that Barack Obama uh, cured racism and then Donald Trump proved America was still racist and this sort of thing. But however many MAGA, super MAGA Trumpsters there are, they're spread out across the whole country, inside every state, inside Mm -hmm. every area. But because there's a federal president, it's, oh, wow, I can't believe 1% of all of the United States is like this. And it just puts a magnifying glass on any view that happens to be allowable in the presidency. I think you and I have spoken about you. It, I don't think you coined it the Overton window. What mm-hmm. was allowed in the mainstream media was skewing more and more left wing. And Donald Trump just sort of blew through that. And yeah. I think left wing people and maybe in particular young left wing people couldn't believe these people existed in the United right. States. But it's not like they appeared because of Trump. Um, I think no. it was a counter movement. But this um, national lens, this each, well, four years in particular for the presidential election, just, oh my God, it forces you to even think about people you have no interest in, right? People you think are maybe abhorrent, right? Um, right. And so the the federal elections forces you into this mindset of what is Canada? What is the United States? Are these people my compatriots? Well, only because right now you're told they are because you're in this big geographical area, right? And so I think the idea of national divorce is almost soothing to me because I won't have to deal with 
yeah. a bunch of like I live in Ontario right now. And it used to be like, oh, the the dumb conservatives from out west or whatever it mm. was. And OK, then if if that's really my view, then I don't have to think about them because their vote doesn't impact my life. Right. That's right. So I think that yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me. Well, well, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think of a good example. This is probably a bad example, but it's it's just like the more uh, the federal government gets involved in our day to day lives, the more it's like the, those people across like living 3000, 4000 miles away from me are impacting my life here in Alberta. Why? Why? <laughs> what? What? I don't want to be in the same nation as them if they if they think their opinion should be forced on me, you know. Um, but see, that's where I'm confused that there's any Democrats in favor of this because their view is that they have the right to force you to do things, whereas the Republican view and the conservative view is no, we shouldn't do that much generally. So I'm confused uh, I, I by Democrats about... wanting. Look, I, I think Long that view. Democrats don't want to be bossed around by conservatives, right? And they have this view that cons- they they have this that view of conservatives that, uh, you know, they they want to take away their reproductive rights, for example, right? I mean that that was a huge okay. impetus of like in the states. It's like okay, oh my God, the the Supreme Court is stacked against us. They're gonna remove our right to you know kill our well, kill our babies. And I think I can't I think stand. In- I think an issue then for each person who might consider this is do like, let's say the right to an abortion, right? If California wants to exit, they can make sure that everyone in California can have an abortion. Do they care if people in Alabama aren't allowed one anymore, right? So if there's a national divorce that the Democrats grant, are they mad? Because this is what I've heard. Oh, if if you're in Alabama, you have to drive to the next state to a Democrat state to get an abortion, yeah. right? And so um, I'm always confused by exactly how the U.S. deals with stuff like this because it's around the Second Amendment as well, guns in some states yeah. versus others. And it's about sort of these fundamental rights often. Um, and it, it seems like it's just been an ongoing battle of which states ban which things depending on which yeah. uh, per, which parties in power in the presidency and I guess in the House and Senate as well. Well, yeah, and that's just it. And so, so you know, if you're a Democrat, you, you know, just like you're a conservative, you might want to insulate yourself from that that government imposing things on you from a conservative perspective. That you don't want. So, so your fear, like your your um, desire to not be imposed upon by conservatives, might outweigh your desire to impose your viewpoint on conservatives. Um, you know what I yeah, mean? I, but I think that's a split I see in Democrats versus Republicans, right? Democrats want democratic presidents forever. So everyone right. in every state can always get an abortion, right? right? Um, and so that's, I think, the the issue is mommy, if it is the mommy state, there. I also hear that, well, the daddies pay for it. It's the rich Republicans who don't want to pay taxes who are the reasons we can have any of the social programs as well. So what happens to the Democrat, not super rich California states, um, if they don't get money through Washington and things like that would be. Well, the that's, concern, their, that's their problem, right? I mean, they can figure that out um, on their but own. How, they can just print money into. How is she, how would a national divorce happen? I'm not. What's well, the I, I, idea? I don't know. I don't know what mechanisms exist in the states. Like in Canada here, we have legislation called the Clarity Act that uh, provides a legal 
uh, uh, pathway to um, secede from from Canada, from Confederation. I don't know what exists in the states in terms of legislation. Again, you know, not that that you necessarily need legislation. I mean, it wasn't a piece of legislation that led to the U.S. being formed in the first place, right? It was just people saying, no, fuck you. We're seceding. This is our country. Get the fuck out. And when when the Redcoats said, no, you're this is our country, you know, they fought it out. And eventually the, you know, the revolutionaries won. The U.S. formed its own country. Um, but, you know, so, so I, I mean, I, I don't know if uh, Texas could just say, look, we're, we're done now and just declare it and say um, no more. Uh, but uh, you know, they, it's not like this is um, that secession or breaking up or anything like that is anything new. I mean, it's happened throughout history. You know, Europe is composed of a whole bunch of different countries, not just one. Um, you know, I, I think Norway and Sweden used to essentially be one nation and they split apart. So it, it's, you know, how these things happen uh, can be peaceful or they can be bloody. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the hope here is to avoid bloodiness by just having an amicable separation. And it seems like there's a lot of people in favor of it. And, and uh, honestly, the people that seem most opposed to it, from what I've seen, the, the ones making the most arguments against it are conservatives, which actually, if you think about it, it makes sense because conservatives are trying to conserve the status quo. America was, you know, they, they have the sentimental idea of America the great and, and you know, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. And we're, you know, like they have all these kind of sentimental romantic views of America and even like Donald Trump's slogan was a was a call to that, right? Like, let's make America great again. In other words, America was this beautiful thing at one time. Till the, I mean, let's let's bring back its beauty and grandeur. And so now you're talking about breaking it up so that it's no longer America, so that it's just a bunch of separate countries or states. And so so it seems to be mostly conservatives that are actually pushing back against the idea. Whatever what you just said seems to be a false history of the United States, from my understanding. Sure. It was 13 colonies that decided together to become one country called the United States, right? So it wasn't one country, right? Canada had four colonies right. that for some reason 150 years ago in Canada and 250 years ago in the States, 13 groups of people in the US said, okay, there's something we need here that we want to coordinate on. Right. right. It was well, and, and, and you remember too. Actually, um, it, it it took a civil war to unify the U U.S. Right. I mean, the civil war. Uh, what was Lincoln's quote? Uh, that he would. Um, I can't remember, but it, it had something to do with. Look, I I don't basically care about slavery. I would, you know, we would institute slavery everywhere tomorrow if it meant keeping the union together. Uh, some something to that effect uh but you know the the revisionist historians will tell you that that lincoln was was trying to preserve the union with that civil war more than he was trying to fleet free the slaves i don't know what the actual truth is but certainly preserving the union was uh, a big part of that civil war the the south i think a lot of it wanted to secede and yeah. the north didn't want to have any of that so well, and so bringing in the analogy of a national divorce, I think the idea is, well, what is the purpose of the country? What's the purpose of the union, 
right? If Lincoln was concerned to preserve the union, why? And so like the founders created the union out of 13 colonies in, right? In Canada out of four, and there must've been some purpose, right? So there was the uh, Republic of the United States and the Federation of Canada. And I mean, in politics, we don't really talk about this at all. My understanding is in the US, there's the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and in Canada, the Bill of Rights, in terms of what's the essential purpose of this federal government. Um, I don't see how modern party politics has anything to do with those things. Um, But again, the idea that the United States is one country, what does that mean? It means that there's lawmakers in Washington in control of laws for this entire massive land mass, right? Right. It being one country, that's all it means, right? There's Texans who are maybe more Texan in their, uh, I don't know, sense of themselves than American, right? But it's, I think, a national pride thing. If there's a national divorce, I'm not an American anymore, right? What am I then? And so maybe there's certain states, maybe Texas has an identity for itself, um, whereas other red states, any pride they might have, it's not Alabama pride necessarily, right? Or, right. right, Missouri pride, it's um, American pride. And they have, right. I think, in the US in particular, a distorted view of what America is, because from my perspective, when Trump got elected, I said, this guy personifies what I know America to be, like right. loud, bravacious, loud, unapologetic, does yeah, whatever yeah. he wants. And so now it seems like maybe he was, I don't know, the, the, every four to eight years, there's either a Democrat that does whatever they want or a Republican that does whatever they want. And yeah. so for Marjorie Taylor Greene to say she wants a national divorce, is she just going to get to do whatever she wants in whatever state? How is that better than her being in Washington doing whatever she wants? Right, right. It's confusing to me. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, those, you know, those are maybe some of the arguments against national divorce might be something like, well, um, you know, uh, I risk living under the tyranny of my current governor, who is worse than the president right now. Yeah. And I don't want that. I'd rather, you know, so that's right. Because you that's mentioned it. Gavin Newsom and there was also the governor Cuomo of New York. And right. so some. Republicans in Washington or who care about Washington or any states, they care that New Yorkers aren't tread on. The purpose of the United States is to make sure that even in New York state, even under Governor Cuomo, people can't be allowed to be locked into their homes. Right. Right. So that was my that's my understanding of the purpose of the Constitution in the U.S. is that there is this landmass and we have a certain like set of rules that no government official anywhere in this country, no matter how they claim to represent their people, it doesn't matter if they're a little township and manage to get democratically elected over 30 people, or if they're a city and they manage to get democratically elected over a million people, or they're a state and they manage to get democratically elected over 30 million people, or they're a country and they manage to get democratically elected over 300 million people. It doesn't matter, none of them, can attack you and violate your right to life, your right to liberty. And so this is the issue with a national divorce is are there conservatives, are there Republicans who are concerned about, well, no, then all of a sudden, what, the Republicans are abandoning everyone in New York State 
so that Governor Cuomo can do whatever he wants to them. That seems to be what the, at least my version of what Lincoln cared about was about. It doesn't matter that, hey, um, good people of the North, it doesn't matter that the Southerners are so far away, they're owning people. That's not allowed right. in this country. They're trading with us, they're near us, they're on this landmass. If they want any association with our union called the United States of America, any at all, they can't do it like this. Mm-hmm. And so it was a it was um, it led to war because it was then up to those states. If every single person in every slave owning state said we would rather own slaves than be part of this union, they would have all just been slaughtered and killed, right? But at some right. point they surrendered and said they'd prefer to be a part of the union, I guess. Yeah. I mean, look, I wish I was more up on American history so I could talk uh, more cogently about this. Um, yeah. I don't know. Try to find the code. I actually came up across it the other day. Oh yeah, here it is. Um, this is a quote from Abraham Lincoln. If I could save the union without freeing any slave, I would do it. Um, and, and they contrasted it to a Robert E. Lee quote, which is there's a terrible war coming and these young men who have never seen war cannot wait for it to happen. But I tell you, I wish that I owned every slave in the South for I would free them all to avoid this war. Hmm. So I don't know. I mean, look, because well, I have heard that the South was chanting states rights. So Lincoln sure. is put up as like the Republican ideal in like modern parlance as far as I've come across. But if it's true that he was just trying to make sure the presidency held more power and that this slave ownership or not, because I've heard from the South that they were fighting for states' rights. It's then pitched that states' rights to own humans only. Right. I don't know if that's true, right? If it's true that the sta- the Southern states were trying to even then fight for self-determination over... Yeah, of course any laws in Ottawa, any laws in Washington at all. And who is this uh, President Lincoln, if they all voted for a different presidential candidate, right? I don't know how many states were in the Southern uh, separatist factions or whatever it was. But if there's five states that were in the South that all hated Lincoln, and now all of a sudden Lincoln's trying to make laws on them, trying to say, I'm the president, listen to me, right? What the union is, Maybe they didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Could be. I mean, I honestly don't know what uh, what drives um, unionists, right, or, or uh, that want to annex areas. So, you know, you, you can make predictions about it. So, for example, Russia is invading Ukraine right now. They're trying to annex. I don't know if they're trying to annex the whole Ukraine or at least some air parts of Ukraine. Um, you know, leading theories about why that's happening could be that. Um, given uh, NATO's continual encroachment and surrounding of Russia and uh, incursion into uh, tippy-toeing into Ukraine, that it sees that as a threat and therefore Ukrainian independence is a threat to Russian Russia, Russian sovereignty or something like that um, because, you know, with NATO continually... Uh, subverting Russia and and encroaching on its power and and doing engaging in fuckery, um, that's a threat. So so you might be able, might say, look, uh, Putin and the Russian government want to uh, 
preserve the the Russian Union with Ukraine and annex Ukraine uh, rather than have uh, separate jurisdictions. Um, mm. and, and that might be the motivating factor is that they, they see an independent Ukraine as a threat. So maybe uh, I'm just speculating wildly here, by the way, um, maybe it, it, it's, uh, the case that Lincoln, uh, saw, uh, a, a separate South as a threat to the nation as a threat to the sovereignty mm. of the North or something like that. And, wanted to quell that rather than let them grow in power or something like that. Or yeah. it could be that the fathers of confederation here in Canada, Canada, uh, saw, uh, you know, um, well, I think in Canada it was, it was definitely a little different. It was definitely all about resources, right? I mean, I think at the time of confederation, like something like 4% of Canada's population lived west of, uh, Manitoba. And, and so, the, the Western Canada was all about the resources. And, um, and, and so, you know, the Laurentian elite sitting back East were looking at ways. And of course that, that it was all about that actually during the pioneer days when they were sending all the immigrants out West to settle the land and building railroads out West. There was, um, I was just reading a book, uh, about this, um, that the, there was requirements to send grain and water and different resources back East. So, They've been bilking the West ever since the early days of Confederation. In fact, yeah. that's what Confederation, you would could argue, was all about plundering the labor and resources gathered by Westerners um, to support uh, the Laurentian elite. And uh, it was done under the guise of, of uh, union and nationhood and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so that's the idea is I don't really know why we need nations like they became popular. There used to be city states in Europe and then they amalgamated into nation states. And maybe that's just what happened to spread to North America. Right. Where Canada is a very new nation. The United States is a very new nation. Right. They were trying to think about how to make one. But maybe the right answer would have been don't make one. Right. If the U.S. had never formed into a union of 13 colonies if it would have fought, if all 13 unions leaders would have overthrown the king and said, we're 13 countries, right? They could have done that, right? And then everything yeah. in history since then would have been different. But they were trying to, I think in the US at least, figure out how to ensure individual citizens' rights for as long as possible from any would-be leader that any group could um, elect. Right. But they did that as the leadership of the time. Right. Um, right. But what you said. Well, I, I mean, me. I mean, the, the, the join or die movement. Right. You, you remember seeing that that the join or die flag, which is like a snake cut into 13 parts. Um, let's see if I can find it and put it up on the screen here. Join or die. Uh, join or die. flag. Yeah, there it is. Throw it over here and see if I can remember how to do this on StreamYard. I think it's Shift S, Home tab. There we go. So there's the the join or die flag, right? So it's a snake cut into 13 parts, I believe, for mm -hmm. representing the colonies. And essentially, the idea behind it is: look, divided we fall, united we stand. So yeah. In other words, they're dealing with 
their their desire to um, to unite under mm-hmm. one flag was probably to stave off an even greater threat, and that's probably the biggest argument for why nation states emerged. Um, you know that, that that's the best case scenario I can give. I mean, the worst case scenario is it's just a bunch of sociopaths trying to engage in conquest and plunder as best yeah. they can. The the good faith argument is that uh, there are you know all these threats from outside, and that you know if we don't join together, uh, those will be ruled by someone even worse uh, yeah. than Justin Trudeau in Ottawa. Will be ruled by Putin or by Biden or by whatever. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, what came to mind before you mentioned that was maybe it was the control of money, right? If they're, if they were worried about resources and trade between the 13 colonies and stuff like that, it would just be more muddied if we're trying to have any cooperation amongst the colonies. And um, here's the list of all of the ways we're forcing you to cooperate, right? Um, I don't know the order of overthrowing the king and then establishing um, the United States. But I was of the impression that there were state constitutions first and like the the constitutional convention or whatever it was, was to pick, like make the best one for the country. But that seems in contradiction right. with what I said earlier, which was, well, it's just about ensuring uh, no rights of any citizen of the country are violated. Right. So if the national divorce is something with respect to like state ownership of the protection of individual rights, that's what Republicans have been chanting. As far as I can remember, I'm only 30. But as far as I can remember, any time Washington was doing something like even Obamacare. Right. They would say, no, this is against our state's rights. Um, And it's uh, but it was always a confusing thing to me because the United States says it's about individual rights, but that whole thing has been muddied in human view of people government should do, both for Republicans and Democrats has been muddied. So it's hard for me to stay clear on this conversation, talking about national divorce. Yeah, well, I, I you think have to it, talk think, about the... Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the I think it, confusing term is state rights right i mean they use state rights sorry you're breaking up there hold on there there you are that they they use people use states rights in a different uh way than they use individual rights um you know people who are advocates of state rights don't say that the state has a particular right to do something to the individual but rather that the state has a right to be left alone from the federal government and um and so uh you know the the advocates are basically saying look leave the state alone to to enact its own policies and keep the federal government out of out of the way right now but that's the recursive fight in the u.s is if sure. there's a state who does then infringe upon individual rights of yes. their citizens right. they want washington to prevent that right so that's the yeah. idea and um like the idea of even if uh, it was related to there's still like a federal uh, defense department, right? It's who is in charge of making sure no one who gets elected 
breaks these sets of rules and infringes on individual rights. The states yeah. say we can do it. And some people say, no, 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 you have violated individual rights ever in the past or you do it now. Washington has to do it. Right. And so it's this swivel point of, OK, if there's some stuff that no government or state official is allowed to do, who makes sure no one does it? And what happens if someone does do it? Right. right. Well, and I think I think the fact things? is, I think the thing is, though, the people that invoke states rights do it when the federal government is infringing on their individual rights. You know, it might have to do with uh, public education policy or healthcare policy or different things like that. The federal government is importing some kind of policy that infringes on their rights. And they say, look, my state has a right to <laughs> uh, has a right to be free of that. We, we, we are an independent state. This is not, um, it, it's not a, you know, this is a federation, not a, uh, dictatorship or something. But I've heard the state's rights arguments be used by like Christian Republicans wanting to ban abortion, hmm. right? Who's right. Washington to yeah. tell my state that I have to allow abortions in right, it? Right, yeah, right. Whereas fair. if a woman has a right to an abortion, she in theory has it in any state, right? But again, that's state's already being incorrect in their thinking because any individual doctor, no matter what state he lives in, should be allowed to provide an abortion if he wants or not, right? So what you put forward is, I think, the more accurate way to actually chant, quote, states' rights, but it's not the only right. one I've heard, which is why I think people are skeptical of uh, Republicans claiming they're in favor of uh, states' rights or better protections for individual right. rights because they've historically denied some. Right. Right. Well, yeah. But I mean, of course, a Republican would argue that, look, you don't have the right to kill babies or kill another human being or, or something like that. And so, um, uh, you know, it's not infringing on a human right to ban murder or something like that. Right. Um, and and so they don't they don't see it the same way. It's like we have a right to ban murder in our state. And you are telling us we can't ban murder. That that's like saying you can't ban assault. You can't ban theft in our but own what state. If a that's state that's what it looks like. Ban murder. What if Democratic New York State votes right. to not ban murder? Well, in theory, they, the founding of the country 250 years ago prevents that from happening. That no matter how much the country grows or the colonies grow, some future leader can't allow murder. Right. So that's, I yeah. think, the idea of being skeptical of national divorce is we, because fundamentally it comes down to who has the weapons. If it gets bloody, what happens? And so it's okay, either there's 50 armies, one for each state, or there's one army, right? Um, the idea is if there's 50 armies, one for each state, the leader of each of those 50 armies would be in touch with one another the same way European leaders are in touch with one another now through NATO not wanting war in Europe, right? So I don't see an issue with like a shift away from, like with a national divorce, it would just be, okay, your state's allowing murder, don't come into our state, right? Yeah. But I don't see an issue with that personally, um, with there being 50 armies across the United States because <laughs> it's been peaceful within itself almost totally for 250 years. It's been sure. peaceful with Canada as well, a separate country for 150 years. And so 
the idea that if there were 50 armies across the US, that that would lead to war or a heightened likelihood of war. I don't think that's true, but you could see that there might be a risk, right? There's an idea of a national identity, a national unity. And so if that's the case, the, it seems like the way you talk to one another is nicer. If we're one country instead right. of 50 countries, it just feels like it would be less likely to lead to war. But I think if hmm. there's some sort of... Well, yeah, know, but theory, the problem is I, right now, I feel like I'm more ready to go to war with Ottawa than I am with Mexico, let's say. Yeah. Mexico is a completely different country and Ottawa is my country in my country, right? Yeah. So it's like, who do I feel more of a threat from? Well, sometimes neighbor, you know, uh, neighbors with good fences are the best neighbors. Uh, you know, maybe I don't want my neighbor living under my roof. That might be a cause for, uh, domestic violence. Uh, but if we are separated by a fence, uh, maybe we can be good neighbors and get along. Well, I think that the reason this conversation is so difficult to have is because there's no politicians today that I know of that talk about what's the point of this country. Why was right. Canada made in the first place, right? They're just saying, what can I promise you, the citizens? What can I promise you, the yeah. citizens? And this is all that the left wing does. And in Canada, there's almost nothing left to promise, right? right. They've given almost every social program we could possibly want. And so when you talk about wanting to go to war with Ottawa and what would happen in Canada if there were 13 armies instead of one, it's difficult to start those conversations because every election is just, here's what we'll promise we can give yeah. you. And the conservatives saying, well, we won't promise as much, but we'll promise just a few things. And so yeah. it's the same in the US. No one is talking about the purpose of the country, the original right. intention of the country, of which in theory should happen every election. In theory, every election, it should be, what's the point of this country? What exactly, is the country? Exactly. Hey guys, Why do we have nation Is this country the right size? Is it maybe too big geographically? Should we split it up into a couple pieces? Is this working for us? <laughs> like, well, who started this country? Is, is that, uh, th does that still hold? Did do all the conditions, you know, yeah. The country was founded by 13 small colonies all in the Northeast that could literally ride to Washington in a couple of days horse riding, yeah. right? And meet and say, hey, what do we all agree on? We all agree we don't like the king's taxes. We all agree on these few things, right? Versus now it's been 250 years, a bunch of people I think should wonder why there is a necessary tie between them and 300 million people all across a continent. Right. I think yeah. Canadians and Americans view themselves as small. Right. Canada is the world's second biggest country. The United States is probably in the top five in terms of land mass, bigger than Europe. Europe has 40 or 50 countries in it. And we have two, three countries on all of North America, which is nuts. Mm. There's no yeah. reason we couldn't be. I mean, and a lot of left wing people love the UN and the EU as ideas. And sure. so if we had different countries and they did still want their social system, well, that's what Washington and Ottawa do anyways. But with different countries, instead of one country in different provinces or states. Right. Well, and, and there's this kind of. <clears throat> it also goes to this idea about how big you want your country um, geographically goes to kind of 
in what I see as one of the key differences maybe between objectivism and anarcho-capitalism, right? Or at least objectivism as per Rand dogma, let's say, which is, look, the way you get gov you get liberty is from a government that imposes it, a government that enforces it. And, and therefore, because liberty comes from the government enforcing it, um, you, what you need to do is expand the, the territory of that government. You know, the, the logical conclusion is what you end up with is a one world government enforcing liberty for all because you want all, all humans to. But of course, pragmatically, that doesn't work because we see that the larger geographic, the, the more individuals and the bigger the geography that a government has control over, the more corrupt it becomes. And so a one world government seems like it would be the ultimate corruption. Um, yeah. you know, but we, we, we see what kind of corruption occurs when you have a government in control of 300 million people in the States or 40 million people in Canada. It, it, it intimately affects all of their lives. It can, it can, that's an incredible amount of power to wield. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's almost impossible. It would seem to me for a human to ignore every incentive it has to get some little advantage or some little benefit or maybe even a big benefit from being in the position of power over all those people to not go after that right i mean it's like mm. it's like asking my puppy dog not to to go after the treat that's in my hand right in front of its face that it's sniffing it, it's an impossible task i mean it just flies in the face of human nature and so so you know i've come to believe that decentralizing as much as possible is is better if we have to have governments let's have them in smaller geographical areas i i would rather be able to walk down my street and knock on justin trudeau's door and say hey what the hell are you doing to mm -hmm. this country like I, I would like to be able to walk past my rulers and, and see them face to face and be able to make them uncomfortable and be, be able to overthrow them very easily uh, rather than have them living 4,000 miles away and making decisions uh, about my life. But I think that makes sense. The one thing I, I think Ayn Rand puts forward, not that government gives you liberty, but the only reason for a government to exist would be to ensure no one else takes your liberty for sure. you. From yes. You, but, and right? and, and if, as a logical, um, inference government is therefore necessary to secure your liberty in other words if you don't have government you won't have liberty no you have liberty by your nature right you right now have whatever liberties you have and your neighbor can try and take them from you if you want someone but, that you but, call. but rand says government is necessary and the why is government necessary so that you can dial 911 and have someone prevent your neighbor from killing you or stealing right. from to you secure, and infringing on your liberty. To secure the liberty that you have a have right by, to. Have yeah. by so it, it's, your it's about that security, right? And, yeah, and so I, but I agree with and, you. And that again, if you, therefore, if you don't want to be killed, if you don't want to have your liberty taken away from you, you need government. And that, that's kind of the logical consequence. I mean, that's why she isn't an anarchist. Yeah. And, and I think um, what I've read of hers, it's in particular as well for, okay, there are foreigners right outside of any country where we think we're rational and we have pro-liberty values that they could write. So, whose job is it to monitor the actions of all humans of earth 
and that they might want to just launch a rocket on your house, Tim, right? If some, if your neighbor busts in to try and kill you, you can defend yourself, right? If some country overseas launches a rocket, you don't have the means yourself right yeah. now, at least to detect it and protect yourself, right? So yeah. the idea is anyone on earth could try and take your liberty from you. And okay, at least in the US, they decided, okay, we're going to create a government to defend the liberties of the people here. But yeah. I agree with you that I think that person I think I trust should uh, be SpaceX able to be more than harassed. I trust Justin Trudeau to protect me from rockets flying in. No, I don't think Justin <laughs> Trudeau does or can, and it's not yeah. even in the political conversation in Canada, national defense and these sorts of things. But I agree with what you said with respect to decentralization. I agree with what you said with respect to you should be able to go to someone in your city or province and have them be the person in charge of all of it, right? If right. it's, okay, there's 10 people that represent you in your province and they happen to negotiate with the 10 people who represent me in Ontario. I don't know yeah. why I need Ottawa to do it. Anything yeah. that Ottawa does, especially with respect to um, protecting my liberties, it's just a group of people shipped over there to do it. Right. Right. Well, and there's I, I a think, separate I, group yeah. of people here doing other things. Right. So the idea that there are provincial and federal governments to me, almost no sense at all, or no sense at all. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the ultimate goal would probably be something like voluntary nations, right? Like there, there's no doubt that being, um, being in a group of people offers protection in the same way that, uh, you know, being in a, a herd of zebras for a zebra offers protection, protection from predation. But the goal here is to try to make that, uh, to get that to be voluntary, uh, to whatever degree we can. And, you know, so, so an example of voluntary nation might be, uh, seasteading, uh, where we have offshore platform. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So the United States was originally a volunteer, a voluntary nation. Canada had four provinces when it founded a nation, right? Um, like well, city states. It's not ruled, voluntary I don't know if, if every individual consented to being ruled over by those governments, right? Well, so at some point they, in th I don't know the history of the founding of the United States, but that's the, the allegation, right? people would have been convinced in each of the 13 colonies and in each of the four founding colonies of Canada, that nationhood would have been good. Apparently Quebec was very skeptical of this, right? Sure. But so at some point when Canada and the US were founded, enough people were convinced that nationhood would benefit them for some reasons at all, right? Well, cer certainly the people do, that wielded the most power were convinced of that. That it would be in well, their best interest, but I, you know, yeah, I, I don't so think we can say that average you, Tim, farmer or homesteader question, uh, consented to be, be being ruled by any stretch. So the question for you, Tim, I would put forward to you that you should reach out to some people who's are from Newfoundland and whose parents were alive in the year 1900. Newfoundland is the only recently joined Canada. Sure, it, it joined chose the, to join. Sorry. It joined in the 50s, I believe. Yeah, and so... Yeah. Like, and it, and it wasn't it all Newfoundlanders by any stretch, right? I mean, there was a big resistance to that change. You know, you see these Republican Newfoundland flags everywhere. If you go out to Newfoundland, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of pride in that, in their, that nation of uh, Newfoundland or whatever. And so, yeah, so the idea so, is so, there so, were but, arguments. So, so my, my point is, look, not everyone in Newfoundland uh, agreed to be ruled by Canada. Yeah. And, and so the degree to which we can get voluntary nations, whereas each individual can be part of the nation that they choose to be part of, um, or not, or go their own separate ways and live as a hermit off the grid, uh, the better, right? We don't want to impose on those people. So seasteading is an example of innovations that are occurring where we can see this happen. So I I'm not sure that the technology necessarily exists right now for this to happen, but I think eventually it probably will. So, you know, the te one technology that's emerging is seasteading. And this is where often international waters, you create these platforms that are on the sea uh, and create industry, whether it's mining, mining, um, uh, kelp or seaweed or whatever for, for nutritional purposes or doing offshore research away from prying criminal governments that won't let you do the kind of research you want to do, whatever it is, you then have uh, other seasteaders pull up their platforms and, and attach to you. You've, you've established a rule set by what joining that. Russia or China tax you. Well, I, I guess you're, you're fucked or you, you have to uh, defend yourself. Right. Yeah. But I mean, so I it's, think... it's like the Vatican or Switzerland or whatever. What does it do if uh, a mega nation attacks it? Uh, well, it's either fucked or maybe it can get some, um, you know. Yeah. But when so when you talk about voluntary nationhood and this sort of thing, I think you still have too much socialism in your brain in terms of what you think a nation does. If we're talking sure. about it should do almost nothing. And you mentioned Marjorie Taylor right. Greene. Well, okay, I'm, what I'm, I'm talking, let, let's separate nation and state, right? Right now, okay. we there there's no separation between them, right? Yeah. We define our nation of Canada by how how our plunderers and, and rulers define it. They've established this is territory. We're calling yeah. it Canada. This is a nation. We've defined it. All, all we're doing is naming the tax the tax farm that we've established as tax farmers. And, yeah. and so, you know, I, I get a kick out of people who call themselves patriots who say, I'm a patriotic Canadian. Okay, you're, you're cheering for your tax enslavers. You're cheering for the farmers that are enslaving you. Uh, that's not what I mean by a nation. Uh, mm -hmm. Nations, you know, um, what, what I would call a, a voluntary nation or separate than a state-defined thing might be some a, a people that share a common um, experience, a common culture, a common ethnicity, maybe, um, you know, uh, maybe, maybe it's a common geography, right? They live in a particular valley or a particular in, in a mountain range kind of cut off or the, between some rivers or on a coastline somewhere. And, and they have, you know, it's, it's like, there are certain people you have, you want to live in a particular neighborhood because they share your values. Like, you know, I might not live in an all Chinese neighborhood, not because I don't like Chinese people or something like that, but I just feel more comfortable around people that have a similar background and culture and thing. I, I, it's more predictable. It's easier to understand. It's, you know, I get it. Uh, whereas I might not get it somewhere else. So, so that's what I mean by a nation. It's why the people I choose to associate with, um, for my benefit, maybe it's for my geographical protection maybe it's for you know my my com commercial uh opportunities um mm. whatever it is that that that's what i mean by a nation and so it's the community it, you 
you could define it as a large community or maybe maybe all i need is a small community maybe that's mm. right so what? so that's what i mean by nation it's it's the people that we surround ourselves that we rely on for um you know protection commerce different things like that yeah that and share I our think- general values and culture I'm interested in how Europe went from city states into nation states because then the United States went from 13 colonies to a nation and Canada went from two Acadian or like Canadians and the French and the English into a nation, right? So at some point in the past 400 years or so, city states, which were, hey, we're living near one another, we're prospering, we're successful. There's also a city hours away. And for some reason, we're now going to unionize our democracies, right? So Athens was a city with its democratic rulers. Um, and I don't know who they, how they interacted with the other Greek nations 2,500 years ago. But in Europe, there were city-states apparently, and then mm-hmm. they amalgamated into the countries, the nations we know today, right? right. I have no idea why in modernity, Thinking about it now, the only reason I would care to would be national defense. Yes. Right? Um, Ayn Rand puts forward three reasons you'd have a government for a landmass, right? National defense, um, police force, and the courts, right? Yeah. Um, but what size landmass that is, right? She says it's necessary, right? So you're saying maybe it's not necessary, right? Yeah. If you're an anarchist. But if it's necessary, it's only necessary so you can have, I, I think, military, because I do want to offload. And I think many people do sure. want to offload monitoring of overseas enemies. There are overseas sure. enemies, I've heard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And I don't want to be the one keeping up to date on everything that anyone in any country could do. So that's what yeah. the military in theory does. It keeps me and the people I like in my city right. safe. And okay, if your whether your city has a military or not, or your state has a military or your country has a military, whatever size this is, the most important thing is I know who's in charge so I can tell them what to do. Yeah. Right? So if there's right. a head of the military for each city or a head of the military for each state, that's what's most important so that they're subordinated to me, the citizen, not the other way around. That's right. Yeah. So right. ideally, you'd want want a, a market, a little bit of market competition there in, in geographical defense. Who who do I think could provide me the best uh, geographical defense? That's who I want to outsource it to. Right. Um, and and you yeah. would say you vote with your vote and your dollar. If it's a yeah. democracy, it's who's the best uh, contractor of national defense or state right. defense. And again, Every that's what 10 I mean. years, that's... you could hire a new person to be in charge of it versus sure. someone just being up the ranks, up the ranks. Now they're in charge. No, yeah. every four years, I should get to vote with my dollar. Who am I hiring to be in charge of the weapons depot that we, the citizens own? We, the citizens own all of the weapons right. and we hire a contractor to be the guy monitoring the computer. Right. Well, and, and here's things they and, and here's use. here's some thought experiments for you because I've thought about this quite a bit, right? Like how might a, a society look that we could call voluntary, mm-hmm. that that where there's no um, initiatory for, force or coercion, at least institutionalized uh, coercive force. You're never going to get rid of the common criminal that's going to you know whatever. 
uh, and I've thought about this thing. So how would geographical defense and different things like that work? Well, first of all, you would you would have um, a uh, a city or a town or a community, right? Because we live in community with each other, share roads, different things like that. If I was a developer, I wanted to make some money. I would take an unowned tract of land. I would uh, build, develop lots and infrastructure and roads because people are going to want to drive. I would de develop commercial areas, you know, residential areas. I would sell um, sell these lots to people to build houses on. There, there would be rules. Okay, there, you would you couldn't build just any kind of house. Like I wouldn't want to have a a hermit's shack next to a mansion, for example. There would probably be some architectural controls. There would be agreements you would have to agree to explicitly, contractually agree to, which is, look, these roads are going to take annual maintenance. There's maybe a fire department here that's going to have to put out fires or garbage collection. I'm going to advertise these things, by the way, as amenities. Look at all the services and parks and different things you're going to get with the dollars, your, your annual fee or whatever. Mm. Looks a lot like a tax, but here's the difference. Um, you have a, an explicit contract with me, the city owner. If I don't do my end of the bargain by maintaining the streets, by collecting your garbage, by putting out your fires or whatever things that we've agreed I will do for your money, you have immediate access to dispute resolution. You have immediate access to courts that will say, listen, Tim, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. You owe damages, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be a remedy in there. I don't have to wait four years and start a political movement to get the potholes in front of my street fixed or to get my garbage picked up on time. There's an explicit contract that says what will happen and how you know mm -hmm. things will resolve to. And I voluntarily agreed to that. I've entered into an agreement where I have my side of the bargain, you have yours, and we're both contractually obligated and there will be consequences if we don't. So immediate access to justice, in other words, is, is occurring here. Okay, so now you've got this private city with, you know, what looks very similar to taxes, except you've voluntarily agreed to it and there's immediate access to justice. If, if uh, the so-called government, the city owner, isn't holding up his end of the bargain. Now, what am I going to do as a city owner if I'm concerned about invasion or geographical defense or something like that? Well, what I might do is make uh, agreements with other city owners. In fact, that might be a reason why you want to move to my city is that I have an agreements and alliance with a bunch of cities around me that we will contract uh, for geographical defense or we'll contribute mm -hmm. a certain amount to a defense force that is going to protect these cities in a particular area that that area might be considered a, a, a province or a nation maybe uh, where we, we have something in common in terms of geographical defense. And, and, but again, these are all contractual things and if, and there's explicit arrangements and I can vote with my dollars uh, or that. So it, it doesn't necessarily look incredibly different than what we have now, except that we have, uh, again, that explicit contract in place. Maybe if I lived, uh, you know, uh, way out in the country, away from a city, I'm out, out there on my own. Well, maybe I I will subscribe to a security service that Elon Musk has or something like that. I mean, he's got Starlink satellites everywhere. I'm sure he could think of a very easy way of creating some kind of insurance where if, if he's got a bunch of rural subscribers to his security uh, services that he will drop in, you know, the odd time that he's going to have to use it to actually defend some property owners, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's like an insurance uh, scheme, basically, where, you know, he's making a ton of money and only having to spend, you know, and, and his incentive is going to be 
to never have to send guys into battle and, and expend a bunch of money and resources. He's going to find try to find peaceful ways of resolving this, diplomatic ways, uh, financial incentives, different things to to decrease violence. So th those are the kinds of thoughts that go on in my head when I start to think about voluntary nations or voluntary societies. I don't know if that's how it would look. It's, it's a bit like trying to predict how cotton would get picked without slavery if I was an abolitionist. Honestly, I couldn't tell you how. I just know that slavery is wrong. But it's fun to try to work these problems through and, and build a voluntary society from the ground up just as a thought experiment. Yeah, no, and I think that all makes sense. And um, the other source um, as to what would be necessary are the police and the judges. Those already exist in each city. People can choose to take it to what this and what is what is well it's based on contract disputes and you could argue more common law either the supreme court is common law and just does what the nine justices think is best or they defend the constitution only and forever right is my understanding of the two options right. so why you need one supreme court for all of the country to determine what's right or what's wrong fundamentally only comes down to, well, if there's a law of the entire country called the constitution, right? If there's not, right. if there's not this battle of states rights versus national rights or whatever it is, um, you could have a top court of each state, a top court of each uh, city even, right? And it's just the sticking point you and I have always gotten on is if there's a giant dispute between two city owners or two uh, defense uh, DROs or whatever, then who's the ultimate arbitration? Yeah. But yeah. again, that's assuming we're living with bad people. That's assuming everything would need to go up this chain of command that people can't live amicably together, right? Right. Um, but it's sort of well, the and, and by the way, that problem thing. that problem currently exists between nations, right? Like if two nations are and in a dispute nation. with each other. And within the nation, yeah, but yeah. if two, two, you know, nations are living in a essentially a state of anarchy with respect to each other. There's no one world government overseeing disputes between nations. I mean, the U.S. is basically trying to act like that, but in reality, you know, nations are are having their disputes, and and they have to find ways of working it out without uh, our government <laughs> getting involved. It's, right? There's, so. but there's a bigger point against what I just said as well in terms of the objectivist view is that every city in Canada and the US has its own laws now anyways. Some Republicans right. can't believe that my right to have a gun is banned in New York. But anyone right. who moves to New York knows this and can choose to live in New York without a gun or live in any other city where they can own a gun. And this would be the same in private cities. If I have a private city, I might not want gun owners there. And it could be in my contract that I don't want a gun owner in my city, right? But the Republicans... Right scream second amendment i can own a yeah, gun yeah. anywhere second amendment well if it's private ownership of cities then no you don't have a right to right. have a gun in my city right yeah you have and i mean the first amendment is about freedom of religion and freedom of speech not on private property yeah. right the idea is this yeah you think i'm going to tolerate an open drug scene of homeless people in my city 
no, no. Right. Those those people are going to be escorted to the city edge or where maybe a charity can take care of them. We'll be waiting for them. But no, no, my my city people are going to be safe to walk around on it. It's going to be nice. You know, uh, maybe people who uh, have demonstrated proficiency with firearms and, and have a certain level of training. Well, no problem. You can seal carry all day long. I feel safer having some trained people packing. You never know. You know, but if, I, if you're just a, do, if you're a stranger right? coming to town and I don't know you or I don't trust you or you have a low, um, you know, you've got a history of violence or something like that. Yeah. Check your gun in at the edge of town and you can collect it on your way out kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And it's the same with you. Don't we spoke about how someone doesn't have a right to come into your into your house, sit right. at your dinner table and, quote, use their free speech to insult you. That would yeah. be the same in your city. You have no right. responsibility to let people who live in your city shit talk you. People who, yeah. right? Oh, this city's a cesspool. If it is, get out. It's bad marketing. Get out of my city. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And that's not infringing their free speech right. according to the Constitution. And, is- and listen, I might not agree with that. Maybe, maybe I'm all maybe I'm a free speech absolutist. And I, I I'm your fine city. with in my city with people, people yeah. can insult me up one side and down the other and call my wife fat and different things like that. What, do whatever you want, say whatever you want about me, and I'll just tolerate it. And in fact, you know what? I'll give you a platform in the town square. You can shout it through a megaphone. Maybe that's my selling feature is that you can uh, insult each other and be, be horrible, the idea call each other that, horrible names all day long. And maybe the that idea is that me. then these rules are city-based, not state-based, right. Right. not country-based. And now each we have bird- a true experiment or, or, or laboratory of what, what rule sets are seem to be having the best results. You well, know, it's, it's just, it's just like in my own home, like, people, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just like the rule set in my own home when it comes to like, how am I, how am I quote unquote governing as a parent, right? What are well, the best so parenting techniques? Thing- I can look at, around me and see which ones are terrible, which ones are good. And I can adopt the ones and I'm more likely to adopt the ones that are going to work good for uh, my customer, my kids. Yeah, and this makes me think sort of against the constitution of the U.S. as sort of an absolute necessary thing, because the idea is it enshrines the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the idea, right? But those were the things that the founders knew were right, and then they made a document saying, we're the government going to enforce this forever, right? Instead of, well, in your city, people will know that murder is wrong still. Right. Oh, I'm gonna have to pause for one second here. I've got a uh, fire alarm going off. Give me one sec here. Actually, you know what? We we should maybe maybe wrap up. I don't know how to edit this. I'm I'm not right. gonna want to get into it afterwards. But uh, it's been a great conversation. Oh, sounds like the sounds like someone took care of it. All right. Well, so yeah, like the idea that murder, like the right to life and liberty are you need Washington to enforce them. And this is what the states are fighting against. No, we can do it ourselves. Well, in theory, any DRO, any city owner worth their salt that anyone would want to move to would guarantee those things, right? Right, right. We're going to guarantee no one murders you and no one steals from you in our city. If (laughs) If you don't have that, in your advertising pamphlet or it's not implicit no one's going right. to move there well and, i mean and, land. yeah and in fairness the, what the constitution is isn't a isn't a promise that we're going to enforce um we're going to protect you from murder or whatever or or we're it's it's uh 
a, a restriction on government. It's a law that applies only to the government, right? It's like, mm -hmm. we shall not infringe on your speech. We shall not infringe on your right to bear arms. We shall not infringe on this. We shall not infringe on this. This is the government saying we're chaining ourselves down uh, well, and, and we're not going to, and we're not going to do that. It's not to say that we're going to be really good at protecting you from being murdered or assaulted or different things. It was to say, we're not going to do that to you. Yeah. And so that makes sense because one, I've heard that the uh, United States constitution came up from the States and two, the 13 colonies would have wanted to attract new settlers to them. Right. right. So there's 13 colonies, there's people coming over from Europe and they want to provide something to the landmass that they claim to be in control of. And they all said, well, we're going to make sure we don't murder you. Right. We're also going to not steal from you. The king stole from you. And that's why you're coming here. So we don't. And so it was the maybe the free market of the 13 colonies each yeah. coming up with the same notions as to how do I continue to attract more people here. Right, right. Well, okay. And so let's apply that thought experiment to our 13 private cities here. Let's pretend in Alberta. Um, who have who have uh, banded together and contracted a say a private defense contractor or something like that to protect maybe commerce between the cities to protect the citizens from invasion or different things like that. Maybe we're paying them to keep track of potential threats and, and you know spy and make sure there's nothing coming our way. Um, well, that defense agency might say, uh, "Look, we're we're going to have." what amounts to a constitution here. If you want to be part of this defense alliance, if you want me to protect you, why well, you can't um, hurt your own citizens. You can't infringe on their right to do this. You can't infringe on their right to do that. So we could see how a constitution might even emerge in a voluntary situation. Mm. Or if I'm a city owner, look, if I want to attract people to my cities, I'm, I'm going to write an explicit, I'm going to bind myself from doing anything I'm going to contractually bind myself from doing anything to harm the people coming here. And I want them to know what I want to use that as an advertising thing. Here are all the ways I guarantee I will not infringe on your right. Plus mm -hmm. here are all the things I'm going to do. Here are all the things I'm not going to do. So it's a, it's bound up right there in the contractual agreement that constitution. And mm -hmm. it's not just uh, a fluffy promise uh, written like a, like a, a, a spiritual or biblical scripture and and handed down from on high that i can just ignore consequence free like current constitutions are it's an actual contract that says hey if i violate this there's actually going to be consequences like my life is going to be ruined if mm. i don't abide by my word and honor my agreement yeah and so the only thing that comes to mind in terms of what would be a like uh potential issue with this is again, if someone does violate that contract based yep. on a constitution or not, what's the ultimate, ultimate non-war arbitration mechanism. But you could even, I'm thinking right now, if you recognize in your contract, right, you have the, your 13 private cities in Alberta, right? And you recognize that, okay, the ultimate dispute resolution organization is this union of the 13 cities. But if you think um, we're not being objective in our analysis of the case, you have a right to one of these other recognized dispute resolution organizations, right? So the idea right. would be not there's one ultimate Supreme Court, but each DRO can be networked right. with one or a few other DROs like in a neighboring 
uh, city or a neighboring sure. uh, province. Um, right. Or, so that, or, or right? look, if you, if you aren't abiding by the terms of our contract, or we're just not going to provide you service anymore. You're cut off. Like we're not defending you. We're not protecting you. You know, uh, this, this is right, how that would be, a lot right. of so wait, an important thing that I haven't decoupled in my head is law and control of the money supply. Cause right. if, Right. So I'm assuming the DRO would be able to just cut out their cut off their money supply. But that's not necessarily true. They'd have an income source separate from the DRO and who controls the law. But right sure. now they're tied together because it's the uh, and, government. And, and there would be different there would be different things. Right. I mean, you could imagine a private city uh, where you're you're violating uh, some law, maybe you're maybe you assaulted someone or did or stole some money or did something bad. OK. Um, well, uh, you know, what would justice look like? Well, it would look, it would probably look something like you, you have to restore the victim to private things. So maybe there'd be some damages awarded. There'd be, you know, it probably wouldn't look like we're going to throw you in, uh, in, in a cage for a determined amount of time and imagine we've done justice, right? We, we haven't done anything for the victim. We've now spent the citizens money on imprisoning you and giving you three squares a meal instead of on something we could uh, slide or a, a playground piece of playground equipment we could build that would enhance our customers experience we've detracted from it by and we haven't done anything to solve the problem we haven't rehabilitated you we can't we don't know if we can trust you when we release you and we haven't restored the victim so you know there, there's it's like absolutely no justice going on currently but yeah so so what would it look like we also well, have a mommy like, okay, state, look, right we don't have right. a daddy state implementing an eye for an eye if you're a murderer right maybe right. you're murdered right yeah i mean so so how justice might look in my city would be look if you here, here's how you can what we'll have a judge and he'll come up with some recommendation or some some ruling about how you're going to restore justice maybe you have to work for that family's business for a couple months and you know report back and make sure that you're providing value or maybe you have to to pay a certain fine to that the victims to restore them that would be blah 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 whatever um, now given that it's a voluntary society, I could say, screw that. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Okay. We'll take you to the edge of the city. You're no longer welcome here. And we will issue a uh, release about how you violated, uh, human rights here and good luck trying to walk, trying to be led into anyone else's home or private city anywhere else in their given areas. So in other words, you are now cut off commercially, uh, and socially fr from, basically all humans you're, you're going to be living on the fringes and so also, the incentive yeah. is if you want to get back in the good graces of society and build yourself up no problem we'll bring you back uh you'll be monitored for a bit so that we can make sure we can trust you you're going to report to a little bit of a rehab or therapy session you're going to restore your victim and we're going to then watch you for a period of a few months or a year uh, kind of like a parole to make sure you're not violating anything and then you're good to go you're back to being a productive member of society or something like that right yeah, and I think we also have to, like, people often look to criminality as to, well, how would that work in what we don't have now? Versus, let's say, maybe a lot of criminality even exists at all because of the society we have now, because of a state-first society, because of a mommy yeah. socialist state society. And a lot of people, especially not in big socialist cities, aren't criminals, Right. But we get so inundated and scared of the criminal that there's criminality at all, that it is always something you think about. 
But in an ideal society, you don't have that many criminals. I don't know right. many, if any, criminals. Like the average person I know doesn't yeah. know them. Yeah. And I think bad laws and bad governments. Well, yeah. I mean, look, we, we know we know what contributes right. to criminality. We know what contributes to uh, drug addiction, you know, and that is uh, being raised in fatherless homes, in a broken apart family. And we know that the state contributes to breaking apart family. It has a vested interest in breaking apart family. Everything from public schools to welfare, the welfare system uh, to, um, uh, you know, family law is all rigged against the family against and and it's rigged in favor of producing fatherless children who are more likely to get pregnant out of wedlock as teens to they're more likely like 400% more likely to become drug addicts 400% more likely to become criminals you remove that state as a surrogate parent you remove all those things and i mean a voluntary society i, I believe becomes much more socially conservative because you have to own the the consequence of your vice. You, if you break your marriage vows, if you break your marriage contract, there's consequences. So you're less likely to break that those marriage contracts. This idea of no fault divorce, all this subsidizing singlehood, that's out the window. So we have much more intact families. Therefore, we have much less criminality. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, let's say 40 and over, recognize that they do live in voluntary societies because they moved to the neighborhood they live in. Mm. Some people don't. Some people, and especially right. young people right now, were born where they were born, and it's all one system. I got stuck in this city, in this state, yeah. in this country, right? None of it's voluntary. But if you've ever chosen to move into a new city or into a new state or into a new country, you've done that because you recognize, I want to voluntarily engage with those people, not these people, right? right. But as yeah. mobility is harder, as people are poorer, right? Um, as you can't afford to buy a house, um, it's harder to make that connection that I do have voluntary uh, relationships. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow this is related to the inversion of the social system and how a lot of the decision makers who impact your life and make it worse are city-based city councillors, but all of the national attention is on uh, like the federal elections and stuff. I don't know how this works exactly, but it's distorting people's minds in terms of how they think about their relationships with other humans. It's mm -hmm. my relationship is with the state. And then right. because of the state of affairs in this country, I then end up interacting with certain people and it's right, related right. to my career which is regulated not where i live which is also maybe regulated so i think it just distorts some people's thinking oh absolutely i mean the state has become so all-powerful i mean it's basically like it's kind of become a replacement in a lot of ways for god it's it's the non-corporeal uh, abstract entity that we petition when there's anything wrong in our lives any discomfort any problem we we you know we ask daddy or mummy government to fix it for us. Uh, we sing hymns to it in terms of national anthems. We, we uh, you know, fight with each other over the theology of it between the left and the right. And, and so, yeah. I, and I mean, look, it, it's even in, um, we see it, for example, you know, the other day I, someone sent me a big victory in Tennessee. They, they banned uh, drag queen story hour in a school or something like that. Le like legislatures have banned it. Okay. In a public school. So again, I'm like, 
like why are you you fucking around on the edges here why not ban public schools like why like he, here we have again these people rather than remove their kids from these vile institutions or think about hey we got to get government out of education altogether they're fighting wars over what should be taught whether it should be a conservative uh curriculum or a progressive curriculum in these schools you know and and again everything is focused on the government rather than taking personal responsibility for getting your kids the hell out of that school and, and homeschooling them or doing something else. Yeah. Um, all this energy and time is spent on batting. And I mean, look, okay, you've, you've solved the problem of drag queen story hour, but you still have parents that would, would the problem of parents that would take their kids to drag queen story hour. So what are you going to do about those progressive degenerate parents that would take their kids to something like that? Are you going to now create, you know, so it adds, now, now we have to have a state solution for degenerate progressive parents in Tennessee. Like, what are we going to yeah, do with these I, parents? Are we going to take custody of the kids? Should they be these kids maybe be raised by the state? I think the issue is forced association, right? Right. I'm exactly. forced to associate with everyone in my city, everyone in my province, and everyone in my country because there's a government. And I'm yeah. forced to have anything in my head about who they are at all. Right. And it's funny that the state in Canada is now so overgrown that in some cities they now have community states. Right. They have in Toronto the Neighborhood Beautification Committee, which right, is an right. additional layer of government on top of the municipal government. Mm -hmm. But at least that one, if that's all that there was, it would be a voluntary clean up this neighborhood committee with right. voluntary taxes on the businesses there. But they're mandating it to some people because of how bad the other three layers of government are at serving their needs, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's starting to like splinter all the way down, but that's the issue is why am I forced to be associated with anyone I don't want to be at all? Right. And the only answer is government, right? And so my view is something, 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 military defense against foreign enemies, yeah. right? But that's not at all what 99.9% .9 of the state or the government or the country or the nation does. But that's not as me associating no. with everyone in the country. That's me associating with the guys with the biggest weapons saying, okay, right. you guys have right. these and, weapons. And, and, and we can look at that and be like, okay, um, like even if we think the, the government's necessary for geographic defense or something like that, I mean, let's look at what our what our government has done militarily in for to protect us. Has anything it's done in the past, I don't know, fifty years actually protected Canadians? Was going into Afghanistan and, and destabilizing no. that country uh, helpful for Canadians? Uh, how about the bombing of Libya, which, by the way, uh, inspired two terrorist attacks on Canadian soil? Uh, one, a guy stormed Parliament, shot Nathan Cirillo, a soldier guarding an epitaph and and shot up parliament before he was taken down another guy uh ran over two shoulders i think killing them both in quebec both of these guys cited uh the canada's decision to go into libya and join uh the bombing of it as so how did how did bombing libya help canadians uh yeah. well it, it inspired a couple of terrorist attacks it spent a bunch of money it created a, a an open slave market there so this idea that 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 this institution this organization that was born in plunder and conquest that <laughs> exists by plunder and conquest it's going to uh through its good graces and and high upstanding 
virtue use all its guns to protect us rather than its own interests is utterly insane. Now yeah, and so I bring it up just because yeah. I think it's the only, for me personally, it's the only association with strangers I want. Right. Government is force. Government forces me to be associated with strangers all over Canada for yes. no reason at all, other than it's a historical precedent. Yeah, and I'm saying I don't want any mandated on me association with random people. I want voluntary engagements only. Right. That's where I choose to live, who I choose to work for or with. That's yeah. it. But the government makes me do a bunch of other crap that I don't want, and then because of convenience and laziness, it happens to impact my neighborhood. And the school is a government school. The hospital is a government hospital, right? Yeah. That's just laziness and 50 years of socialism degrading the country. And Absolutely. so I'm saying for me, the only potentially uh, non-voluntary agreement I'm willing to have is with a DRO system. Okay, I've chosen, sure. even in your example, I've chosen to live in your city, Tim, but yeah. you have a DRO that manages 13 cities. Now there's people in the DRO from some city I wouldn't want to live in, but you in your judgment as the city owner of one mm. city makes right, this, right. right? And so it's the only one I'm willing to um, consider, but everyone else just takes for granted. I have yeah. thousands of forced associations on my life. Right. And so then the question is, okay, well, how do we, you know, since we've talked this long anyways, David, how do we get to this uh, voluntary uh, place, right? So one one avenue there might be, you know, secession would be a, a nice start, right? We're, we're, we're talking, we, we've gone from like secession all the way down to as far as you can go, right? Right down to the individual level. We're talking about seceding right down to the individual level in our thought experiment that we've been carrying on for the last half hour. How would seceding right down to the individual work? individual level work but you know i'll take any degree of secession i could get I, i'd take uh seceding down to the provincial level how would that work um you know how 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 do we we get there right and so is it simply a matter of persuading people uh to that this is a good idea or is it more like listen as as technological innovation advances and people can um can no, no longer have to rely on the state or no longer think of the state as necessary to provide the services never, that we get. They never had to rely on the state. Well, they that, that's true. convinced they have to. Fair enough. But look, okay, let, let's imagine this. Let's imagine I have a 3D printer and an AI at home that can produce anything I need, right? Mm -hmm. That can produce uh, and, and I can uh, get medicine and healthcare in my own home via, you know, AI and, and uh, robots and, you know, having access to free market doctors who are operating in on the internet that the government can't stop, that can exchange cryptocurrency that the government has absolutely no control over, that I can get engage in smart uh, blockchain uh, contracts with uh, people that, where the government I don't even need the government's courts to enforce contracts because they just enforce themselves through uh, dint of the blockchain where I can contract with Elon Musk for defense services or security services or some, you know, everything that I want is provided cheap, easy access uh, in abundance by the market. The more of that stuff that emerges, the less inclined I am to see the state as having any any relevance in my life 
at all. Right. Yeah. But, so the, I think that is the future that all current politicians are terrified of sure. because they don't understand it even a little bit. They don't understand anything about AI, anything about machine learning, anything about computers, anything about the future of the economy, anything about robotics manufacturing or future advanced manufacturing. No politician alive today knows anything about it because right. they're all old. That's sure. it. They're old yeah. and they're, they have power and they don't want to get rid of it. And so they just need to be convinced, right? Not writ large. I think, wow, if you can convince the premier of Alberta, hey, buddy, you and every other politician alive in Canada have no clue what the world looks like 10 years from now, but maybe you can be the politician that goes down as, wow, good job, guy. You helped us secede and have freedom and flourishing in our, in our former province. That's the only hope I have is any politicians will be right. honest for once in their life and admit they know nothing about what Canada looks like 10 years from now. Zero. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's Short that's of that, point. I don't know. Like, because yeah. they won't have an argument. They'll say that for you to do those things safely, you need them. That's their only argument. For you to get medicine and AI and protection and weapons and a 3D printer safely without the government going into the 3D printing shop and making sure that the... Uh, 3D printing powder doesn't cause cancer. If they don't do that themselves first through the FDA or the CDC or whatever, you'll die more. Not you right. and the people making it don't want anyone to die with their product, right? So it's just weaved into you shouldn't think for yourself, let the government think for you. That's yeah. just how it's been for a long time. And so people are, are used to it. But I think there is no good argument for why we need these people. So the best way to try and get them to realize it is, I think, to target the, the governors and the premiers and say, hey, you guys shouldn't want Ottawa ruling you and your life in your state, right? They live in right. this state. Maybe they as an individual don't want uh, Ottawa or Washington ruling them. And they can understand that how do we get more freedom and more liberty to this end? And I think those things will come about more quickly and more freely, especially in Canada, if you start to just destroy uh, the red tape and you, then you try and point out which countries on earth in the past 50 years have had the most success, have had the most advances in technology, in uh, flourishing of their sins. Um, the government, the more success uh, the citizens of a country get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we, we've come up on, um, yeah, it's been an hour and three quarters. Uh, hey, guys, thanks for hanging in there with us. We went down a lot of rabbit holes. This was a great discussion. Um, you know, I, I thought we were going to start one place and talk about basically how can we get Alberta to secede because, you know, selfishly, that's where I live and I, I want to establish some independence here. But uh, we introduced all sorts of concepts, explored all sorts of different ideas, um, and, and raised a lot of food for thought. And I'm going to explore this concept of national divorce and independence a little bit more in secession uh, with uh, on the next podcast, actually, on the next Tim Moen show, I'm going to have the author of the Sovereignist's Handbook, Charting the Course to Western Independence. Uh, I'm going to have that author, Corey Morgan, on. Uh, he just released the book. 
I've been going through it. It's got some interesting ideas. I think, uh, you know, a lot of his, um, his ideas are to use the clarity act, some piece of legislation, but he, uh, he has a, a very in-depth knowledge of the history of the secessionist movement and its context with confederation through the years. And, uh, you know, all the ways that Western Westerners have been getting a raw deal in confederation and, and the ebbs and flows of the mo secessionist movement, um, how it compares to the Bloc Quebecois and, and, you know, Quebec separation and different things like that. So we're going to have Corey Morgan on the next show. But listen, we talked about a lot of interesting things. You might be raising your eyebrows talking, you know, we've been talking about private cities. Uh, but basically, we've been talking about anarchy here, guys. Uh, how do we get rid of government? Uh, but still, you, you know what? We're... We're getting, you've noticed in our conversation here that we've gotten rid of government, but we still have a lot of rules in place. It's just that we now have access to justice and we have the kind of rules that we want to live under rather than the kind that are just simply imposed on us. In fact, we might even have more rules in, in some ways because each city state or each sit private city might have their own set of rules and you move from one city to the next and, you know, you're, you're shopping for the best set of rules, the optimal set of rules for it, just like you might try to come up with the optimal set of rules for your own house, you know, a city owner is trying to find the optimal set of rules for, for their, their space that will attract the most customers and make the most people happy and make them feel the freest and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, uh, I want to hear what you guys have to say. What do you guys think about the idea of voluntary cities or voluntary societies or voluntary nations? How do you think it would work? How could we design, if we're starting from scratch, let's say we're going to Mars and colonizing, or maybe we're advising Elon Musk on, on starting Mars Colony. Maybe I'll have on David to talk about that. That's an interesting thought experiment that could go down a lot of rabbit holes with that one. I want to hear from you though, guys. How, how do you think the best system of governance would work? Can we make it voluntary or is there any way to do that? Or do we always have to have someone, some strong man at the top that imposes rules? Um, on the rest of us. Uh, let me know what you think. And the way you can do that is you can come over to locals.com, uh, support me there. You don't have to pay any cash, but you can be part of the conversation. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to, you know, donate a cup of coffee to me a, a month, $5 a month, again, it gets you full access to everything we do, including live webcasts uh, and, and uh, different benefits that you can get there. So, so let me know what you think. Come to locals.com. David, thanks so much for joining us again. Good to see you, brother. After all this time, I'm glad to see your mind is still sharp and you're still thinking about these big ideas and still challenging me. And, and you're progressing and you're kind of evolving. You know, you're not just old uh, a dogmatic objectivist. You've kind of thought things through a little bit and evolved on that. But I was never a dogmatic. No, you never were. You never. Were. I, I, was, I I retract that. But can I? Can I? If there are former viewers of the Liberty Experts still tuned in. I recommend they go back way back in time, three or four years and see the first two times Tim and I discussed objectivism and they'll see how skeptical I was before I ever went to an Ayn Rand conference. Right. There you I go. just became very interested in philosophy as opposed yeah. to just politics. Right. That's my defense. And that's a good defense. It's a, you know, it's a sign of a sharp mind of a thinking mind of a, you know, it's that old philosophy, David, of, uh, having uh, strong opinions weakly held, right? So we're going to believe what we believe given the information we have, but we're going to be open to revising it given new information, given new arguments, given new uh, evidence. So there we yeah. go. That's kind of a good motto to live life, you know, and, and it's the same thing we actually apply in the fire service, by the way. It's like the best incident commanders 
are the ones that make decisions, even if they're suboptimal. The worst ones are people that uh, do paralysis by analysis. So that's what we often say in leadership courses in the fire services. Look, have, have the courage to act uh, decisively uh, and boldly with uh, the little information you have, but have the humility to change course when um, new evidence presents itself. So there you go. All right, David, we'll cat, chat with you next time. Maybe we'll talk about colonizing Mars and how we'd set up the colony. I love these thought experiments. It's uh, it's good banter back and forth. So uh, we'll see you next time, buddy. Good to see you again. Thanks.